0: there's a guy making a movie about Henry Stone and the Miami Sound and TK Records. Yeah. And he started interviewing people and he said, well, I want like a couple of minutes out of everybody. And Mm. he sat with me for two hours. Yeah. That makes sense. So I'm going to be a movie star very soon. You are. Do you have an agent? Are I'm going you ready to, I'm for going the be, offers? I've decided I'm going to be impossible. I'm going to be just like...
1: <laughs> you've decided. I've known you for 25 <laughs> years. You've, you've arrived.
0: Man. Oh, really? It's an art form now. <laughs> yes. yes. Like a good wine. You man. want impossible? I could be impossible. <laughs> I've had uh, it happen to me so many times. I know exactly how to do it. Is. Yes. <laughs> uh, I, I cannot wait. Um, well I
1: mean so how did somebody you find... for
0: Spielberg to discover me I'm gonna be oh he's coming I'll be the Tyrannosaurus Rex in the next uh... <laughs> <laughs> those
1: Jurassic yes yeah, smiling yeah I can't I cannot wait but so like but that experience was that I mean you don't really do a lot of that kind of stuff that you know was it
0: you know, it's funny, I, I, you know, Henry died a couple of weeks ago, and so I had two people call me who had music business blogs asking me to write a, an obit about, uh, you know, RIP right. thinking that I'm semi-literate, which right. being in the music business is not tough. If you can string <laughs> three sentences together, you are.
1: Uh, <laughs> wow, you're really being generous. Yeah, then
0: you're almost Faulkner. You yeah, I'm so, some James <laughs> Joyce. Uh, yeah, yeah. So, they, uh, so I did that. And actually, they were pretty good. That's cool. I mean,
1: you know, so how did you, you know, what, actually, I've never, I've known you forever. I never knew, because I knew you, you know, I knew you through my old man, and like, you know, by the time I met you, you were already, you were basically, actually, one of the reasons why I wanted to talk to you is like, um actually an early adopter in the whole licensing thing, the special marketing thing. We don't generally talk to people that are on the mm-hmm. other side of things, but I do find there's creativity. That was the second
0: half of my career, basically. Yeah, but
1: there's creativity in that. Yeah, oh, and there's, absolutely. You know It's not just strictly numbers. My whole career has been yeah. based on licensing as well, but from the creative side to straddle both
0: worlds. If you get friendly enough with some of these you know, the advertising people, and the, the, the television people, and the movie well, <laughs> well, I don't try to get friendly with them, but they call you up, they ask you for things. Yeah.
1: No, it's not being friendly. They, they, they like to call me and ask me to do things based on
0: what I already do, and then tell me why I'm wrong. That's, that's, that's what I know. Well, about. in my case... You part know, of the thing. as I always like to tell them, you know, that some of them would say to me, uh, "Well, we want Elton John or something." They'll just yeah, say I was working on Polygram or YouTube yeah. or whatever the hell it is. Yeah, yeah. And they would say to me, "Well, we want them," and they would say that's too much. And I said, "Well, and if you really understand the licensing business, there is a general format in which we all operate under." Yeah. You know, the like, let's say a movie. The the beginning theme costs the most. The end theme costs the second amount of mo- the sure. second most. And in between that, it's based on. How much time in the movie it's used, mm-hmm. uh, you know, 30 seconds, 50 seconds, two and a half minutes. Yeah, yeah. You know, like in your father's case, you know, yeah. when they, they played the first time I ever saw your face in, uh, in Play Misty for me.
1: And it was the opening titles, so yeah. it's yeah. like,
0: yeah. Yeah, So You pay you pay a lot more for that. Yeah. So there's, there's a kind of a general idea, because otherwise you're negotiating 100, you know, every movie would be negotiating 700 songs. Sure. So there is a general range in which we all operate. Right, and, and people like that, sometimes they would say, well, I want Elton John. And I'd say, well, you know, okay, fine. Yeah. It's, it's X, X, because Elton John's a substantial artist. Sure. And, and they would say, well, I, I can only afford half. And my answer would be, I'd give them two answers. <laughs> i said, let me ask you something. How much are you spending on this movie?
1: Yeah.
0: And they'd say, oh, it's a big movie. It's $100 million. Yeah. And you're arguing with me over the beginning theme, a piece of music, and you're arguing with me over $50,000. Yeah, it's like an Is
1: iconic artist. Yeah. yeah. That's their because job.
0: those people don't think the music matters.
1: They still don't, and they they, don't. they think it matters less now. So you, you know. Yeah, it's they
0: right. don't realize how many how often the music. The smart ones understand that the music motivates, the, you know, not motivates the film, but drives the film to some degree. Right. Because, I mean, the story is everything, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I would get people like you know, they'd say to me, "Well, I'm not going to give you that much." Yeah. And I and I would say to them, "Well, look, you know what? Here's the deal. That's how much it costs, and and let me point out to you that I have the Elton John monopoly." <laughs> so you can't get it anywhere else. Right. So it's not as if it's not like, yeah, like other things where you know they're so used to having, as they refer to everybody as a vendor.
1: Yeah, yeah. You yeah, know, you
0: yeah. can go buy a pencil from fifty different people. Yeah. Yeah, you want Alton John, man. Yeah. You come to me, and that's it. Yeah. But then at the same time, you have to be reasonable with people. Of that's course. why there's a general there's a general range in which you operate. Sure. You know, let's say in an opening theme years ago, it could be anywhere from 150 to two and a quarter or, you know, yeah. something like that. Yeah, yeah. You know, the, the Fuzzy Snake gets 150 and Elton John gets to two and a quarter.
1: Right. Well, here's the other thing now that happens is that a lot of times now they'll blow all their money on the Elton John song or, or sort of like, you know, similar level of artist. And then they literally have, you know, I had a major, major, major movie come to me and want to offer me like, 400 bucks for a track, and you just laugh. You just, no. just Well, no, it's not even no, it's the conversation just ends, you know, yeah. it's just like, but you know they've spent all their money on one A-list artist, and it's yeah, that's, ridiculous.
0: The, the thing that I know to be, a tr- to be true mm. is that's not accurate.
1: What do you mean, well, that they don't have the, they, they, they,
0: they can find money.
1: Of course they can, they, can, they, can they always can, but the thing is, okay, they're well, like, rock stars <clears throat> when they don't have to spend the money, that's all. But,
0: well, I, as I was I saying I always say to them, look, the amount of money you want to spend, I can give you, you know, mm. the fuzzy snake. <laughs> I
1: mean, you know, yeah. you want Elton John, yeah. you pay yeah. for Elton John. Here's Sean. Elton Brand. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'll give you Elton Brand. Yeah,
0: there you go. Yeah, he's, he's, yeah right. He played for Duke for all those years. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But, you know. Now, I'll, I'll tell you a funny story about licensing. You'll get a kick out of this. Right. When I first went to uh, Polygram, mm. and I was in special markets, and nobody knew me. Right. You know, they didn't know my career. As you well know, I'm one of those guys who knows a lot of people. and Yeah. Uh, you know, I'm either someone you love or hate. It seems. <laughs> <laughs> and sometimes both, yeah. And sometimes both at the same time, yeah. Uh, so if someone said you're an acquired taste, that's what someone told me about <laughs> <laughs> myself. I said, yeah, you know, okay, fine. Yeah. And so, and so was your old man. I think that's why we were so friendly for all those years. But when I got there, they were having this huge problem. Yeah. In that, um, the village people would not give them YMCA for anything. For, well, a specific movie they were doing, um, all right. Wayne's World. Wayne's oh, World. Really? Wayne's World Two. Okay. The the director got so excited about the scene he was going to do that he went and made the scene. You know, sure. He spent all the money on it. Yeah. Yeah. And everybody, the CEO, everybody had talked to these guys. You know, there was the two guys who, who basically were the Village Peoples, a guy named Jacques Morali and mm. uh, Henry Bellalo mm. Now, when I was at TK, we had done two records with them. Right. Uh, we did this group called the Ritchie Family that had a number one disco record. And we did a couple of things with them. Actually, they actually crossed over right. into the pop world. So, you know, I mean, we must have sold you know four or five hundred thousand albums on this one thing for a disco album you know a lot of those you know then it was a pure disco album sure and uh, so I was very friendly with them and their attorney Mm -hmm. who when I used to come to New York was a huge basketball fan and he called me up as you know I played ball in school Sure. and he would call me up and I'd be a ringer in his basketball league (laughs) (laughs) because
1: actually I should go on record saying Howard can hit a fucking jump shot like it's it's kind of frightening i've seen this in action and it's re- yeah yeah from anywhere so a ringer is definitely a perfect
0: you're a basic guy. white boy jump shooter totally <laughs>
1: yeah that's great
0: yeah i told you a story about how your father and i you know your father made seventeen thousand dollars for me shooting jump shots against,
1: <laughs> against, against some
0: of the philly guys you know no, well
1: i know it but they don't all right we'll tell that later let's yeah. finish this story first. yeah yeah so this so, guy wants so, to see a ball game these kind of Well,
0: nobody would, nobody would uh, give them this thing. You know, the CEO had yeah. called them up. You yeah. know, called up the attorney and the COO and the film people. And the reason was is that they were trying to relaunch the Ritchie family.
1: Oh God! And so they, they didn't, holding didn't want it anything. No, they didn't yeah. want anything out there. Yeah, hey, I
0: mean, you gotta understand, Jacques, Jacques Morali was a brilliant, complete queen. Uh, okay. and he had a view of the world that was you know yeah. extremely pro- proprietary about how he handled it sure i mean look he did a great job yeah whatever you think of this guy he was i had to actually what you know we we, we had the richie family one time in one of those clubs in new jersey yeah you know where wise guys owned it yeah 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 and I had to ask the guy, look, please don't kill him. He's in the middle of making a record.
1: Yeah. <laughs> I need
0: him. I need real yeah. like, No, just favorite. a brilliant, producer, brilliant. Yeah. Just, just talk to me. Yeah. I'll take care of it, you know? Because gotcha. that was not exactly a match made in heaven, as no. my mother would say. No. All right, so nobody would give him this record. And I just had gotten into Polygram. I'm sitting in this meeting, and they're talking about their problems. And we're to I don't know what we're going to do, what we're going to do. And, and I said, well, why don't you let me give him a shot? And they said, what can you do? Yeah. I said, look, I know the people. I said, can it hurt? Yeah. So I call up this guy, Steve Kapitko, mm. who's the attorney for, the, for these guys. Yeah. And I said, Steve, I'm over at Polygram now. He said, yeah, I read. And I said, he said, yeah, you want to talk to me about the village people? And I said, yeah. He said, look, man, Jacques and Henry won't do it. I said, do me a favor. Let's get the four of us on the phone. Let me give it a shot. Mm. And he said, okay, we'll give it a shot. And if you remember the movie, it was a scene a two, in which, actually, in which yeah. the two knuckleheads, you know, yeah. knuck- that they're, they're running Dana around Harvey in the middle and, of nowhere, yeah, and White they club. they run in, you know, they're hiding from somebody, and they walk into a club, and then you know, and somebody, and it, it's uh, they're on stage doing um, someone's a group's on stage doing uh, uh, Y M C A. Right. It was actually a cute scene.
1: Yeah, they become part of it. Like, yeah, um, they become, yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. So it's a whole thing. Yeah. And they, had, like, as I said, they had already cut the you know they already yeah. produced the film, so they had you know pile of money into this already. And they loved it. They wanted to use it. Right. So um, he says to me, he goes, uh, so get these guys, we get on the phone.
1: Yeah.
0: And Henry says they're going to make it, you know, oh, I don't want to do this. The Ritchie family are coming out. And I try to say, look, you know what? What on earth? I
1: shouldn't even bother. No, what go ahead. Did, the Ritchie family has
0: nothing. I mean, not the Ritchie it? family. Oh, village
1: people. Village people. Village people. Was, oh, they're relaunching the Village people. They're relaunching right. the
0: Village people. I, I had a, you know what's I, funny? I worked on that I had a record. dyslexic moment when yeah. I went back to Village Okay. People, I
1: worked on that relaunching record, by the way. That's a whole other story. Yeah. yeah.
0: So, and I said, well, look, for, number one, if you're going to relaunch the group,
1: yeah, this is it. But this is
0: look. Yeah. You're going to be in a national. You know, you're going to be in a Massive movie. Massive. I said I don't care. I don't want any, I, I, They're making. They're going to make. They're making fun of my group. And I said, Henry, mm. you got one guy dressed like Coach Cheese. <laughs> one guy dressed. <laughs> said, yeah. One guy looks yeah. like Wyatt Earp, and I don't yeah. even want to. I don't even know what the hell the other three. Yeah, guys yeah, exactly. Were. I said so. I think that. You know, I think the part of the. You know, that part sailed yeah. already. Yeah. I said, look, I can get you a pile of money. Yeah. but you got you got a, I said this can't go on forever yeah he said but look I said it's, well, it's, yeah. it, trust me it's good he said okay and I'll trust you so I trust you it's good right so I called up the I called up the uh, movie company yeah. and I talked to the whoever the music coordinator was he said do you want your name on the in the, in the credits? And I said, No, but I want three times the rate for these guys. Yeah. I said, That's the number. I said you have got until tomorrow to do it. I mean, it's, and he yeah. said, Do it, do it, do it. You yeah. know, like, he said he says, Oh, you have to come out for the uh, you know yeah, for the premiere for the or premiere. Or the, I said, Yeah, no, yeah. Really, yeah. So I you fly you, out to California to go see a movie. <laughs> yeah, exactly.
1: Thanks guys. You but know. the
0: thing it, it was really interesting at that moment. You know, it's a very funny moment in another way because all of a sudden these guys, you know, who hired the schmuck to do special markets, they're thinking, man, this guy, you know, it was like they had a whole new perception of me because they'd always heard that Smiley's one of these guys who knows a lot of people. Sure. Yeah. So, So, well, then you
1: deliver on your relationships and then, you know, my favorite thing is in a position like that, you do something like that and I know you buy yourself another contract or you buy yourself extra. It's like having a hit. It's like being an A&R guy and, you know, But I actually, okay, but let's go way back in reverse, because I, what the hell is an 18-year-old Howard Smiley high school graduate thinking about going into anything connected to the music business, or like, because that kind of cracks me up. Well,
0: I only was interested in two things in my entire life. Okay which was basketball <laughs> yes. and
1: music oh oh I thought okay i thought you maybe say something else but yeah no that came yeah, later that's a third thing. Okay.
0: that came later that had problems <laughs>
1: we don't need to touch that on was, that.
0: that that was wrong with things i never understood and still don't understand right. Right. with eminent peril W. C.
1: fields once said yeah yes.
0: no i still don't get that the only thing i figured out is uh, i listen to my son now when it comes to girls <laughs> okay because well, i never got it
1: <laughs> music basketball. and
0: I, you know, I played I played like four instruments. I played trumpet, trombone. I never knew that. Yeah, really. Yeah, trumpet, trombone, cornet and percussion. Okay. All less than mediocre. <laughs> <laughs>
1: all right, so you sucked at all these instruments. I uh, get it.
0: Yeah. Yeah, <clears throat> I, I I will tell you a funny moment I had. I was I was sitting in a studio one time. <clears throat> we were we had that jazz label, the TK. Right. That your dad made a couple of records for us. What was it called? It was called Marlin. Yes. And there's the logo for it up there. Holy shit. Yes. That's the logo that yes. was that was the that artwork was for the for the label, for the label itself right there. Ah, what the hell did he you And produce? your and your father oh had had a subsidiary Marlin called Wolf. Oh my god. Kenny Barron. Right. he did he, he, he had he Kenny had, Barron? Had, he, yeah. yeah. So,
1: Robin and that's Pignano. how really,
0: yeah, that, I, I had met your father before that in the Atlantic days. Oh, wow, okay. He, he discovered me really early on, you know, when I was just a kid. Wow, all right. He thought I was something special, which certainly gets to your father's judgment.
1: A Jew with the jump
0: shot, <laughs> yes. <laughs>
1: Nothing like a Jew with a jump shot. Yeah, yeah
0: and, and so, um, uh, I, I went to school, you know, I was playing ball in school, oh. and I got a job, a friend of mine had gotten a job he had dropped out of high school. I mean, he dropped out of college. Never went to college. Uh, yeah. Went to work for a and Records and then came back to Miami. They put him in Cleveland and they gave him a job in Miami as a promotion man. And I was a college rep for A&M Records. Oh, wow. Yeah, as, as a, you know, like 19 yeah. or something. Right. And uh, it was a great job. Well, how'd you even
1: get to that? I mean, like... Well, this
0: friend of mine, you know, they were starting to put college reps on, you know, because every yeah. college had a radio
1: station. Sure, so they And Miami
0: know. was a cool place because Miami, you know, don't forget the university... The, the problem with most radio stations is in colleges, you know, they, they have like, you know, 12 watts. Yeah. You know? You yeah, know? exactly. They, yeah. You know, they, you know if, you, if you move too far to your left... Yeah. Uh, but the interesting thing about Miami was it was right in the middle of Carl Gables. Yeah. And so unlike most universities, you know, it was right in the middle of a city. Right. And so not only did you have the University of Miami, which was a pretty cool place, mm. you, you, you really got a lot of Coral Gables. So the, the radio station actually sold some records. Right. And so my job was to take all their stuff and right. smoke dope with the DJ and yeah. listen, and he play the records. You know, it was, yeah. it was great. I mean, it's fabulous. You know, I couldn't, couldn't. And I got friendly with all these people and it led to me getting a job in the summertime Uh, working for a record distributor, which was Tone Record uh, I mean, Campus Record Distributors. okay. And uh, somebody got sick one day. You know, I was working in the warehouse. Yeah. And somebody got sick in my second year doing it, and they said, um, uh, they gave me the sales job there, phone sales in those days. You called up record stores and sold all this stuff. Hey, we got the new record out by this guy, you know. uh, Then here's who's on it. You know, you, you, you really, you could sell music yeah, to the records, to the independent record store owners, because it was guys in their twenties and thirties who music was important to them. Sure, it's not some buyer today, you know, like some buyer at Target who doesn't know the difference between a record and a, yeah. a You know, it could be a roll of toilet paper he's selling. Yeah,
1: they don't give a shit. No,
0: yeah. and so um, at the end of it, they asked me if I wanted a job, and I said, well, you know, I'm actually in college, I can't do that. Yeah, and then the following year, they said, well. I said, look, here's what I'll do for you the following summer. If you want to do this, I'll take classes in the morning, Mm. classes at night, and I'll work during the day. Right. But that's the best I can do for you. Otherwise, you know. And it didn't matter to me because I was going to college. I was going to be an attorney
1: oh okay
0: well that's what my folks said so why don't you try being an attorney we already have two doctors four dentists and three math PhDs in the family <laughs> you know, you're a classic jewish family you know? <laughs> you're a right
1: pain in the ass be a lawyer yeah right
0: you know we need a lawyer to, you know, to take you know to what's when the doctors and the dentists <laughs> yeah. screw up yeah somebody can take care of them so yeah somebody can defend them and so um they said okay surprisingly it was funny i didn't care Ah. I just said to the guy, look, this is all I can do. I said, right. it's really, I'm not trying to do it. I said, it's not like there's a negotiation. Yeah. So I took the seven o'clock in the morning classes and the seven at night classes yeah. and worked in between. Oh, perfect. Yeah. And, uh, and so, you know, when I finished school, it's sort of like, you know, a thing evolved and there I was in the music business all wow. of a sudden. I was, I was working for the record distributor.
1: When did you meet Henry? When did you, was that later or was, I the, mean. Two years, two years into this. Okay. Yeah.
0: Two, two years into this, um. I sort of started to get a reputation for, because in my days you did sales and you did promotion. Right. And, and like I wanted the same. I mean. It, no, they, no, they were different, but you did both. Right. You know, it's not like, you know, you promoted radio stations and you sold stores. Now they...
1: Oh, yeah, you're right. Later yeah, that,
0: on they became two jobs. Yeah. But, but at that point, you know, you wore multiple hats. Yeah. And so uh, I was doing both and I, you know, I started to get a reputation and I met... The guy who sort of was Henry's GM, a guy named Milt Oceans. Okay. And Milt had discovered me and asked me a couple of times if I wanted to work for Tone, and I said, eh, I don't know. And I said, it just seems like a lateral job.
1: Yeah.
0: And then so he offered me the job of running the one stop. Right. Which I thought, that's different. That's interesting. Because tell Explain me. Explain
1: what a one stop is, just 25 words or less. Yeah. yeah. It's a, just a, dist- like,
0: a distributor. Mm hmm. If you're the distributor, you handle certain labels. Right. Much like, much like you could be the distributor for, for washing machines. Right. You know, you, you, you handle a manna and the guy across the street handles Westinghouse. Right. You know, whatever it is. Yeah. So TK, I mean, it was Tone Distributor, mm-hmm. had their, had their uh, bunch of labels. And they were the bigger one. But we, and the guy who runs the one-stop buys everything that's outside of that. Right. And we were a very aggressive place. We sold all over the country. And, yeah. and Henry was really aggressive about it. Yeah. And I would make deals for people. I would buy huge amounts of records and sell them all over the country. Right. Which, frankly, is not what people wanted you to do, but they didn't care. It was a nod, nod, wink, wink. Right. You know, they didn't really give a damn. Right. But so we you, did that. You, so you'd
1: you'd hedge your bets on, you'd say, like, we're going to buy, like, 200,000... Copies of this. Well, people and would and buy.
0: Yeah, people would buy five hundred, a thousand. I'd go and say, I'll take twenty-five thousand, but right. I want a twenty percent discount so I can transship sure. them. You know, things like that. Gotcha. And so that, that's that's how that's what right. we did, and a lot of it was just based on what I thought was a good record.
1: Right. Yeah. But hey, I mean that makes sense. Yeah. You know, and, records and been you, you got to get. A, I
0: mean, nobody's going to give you a great deal once the records are hit. Right. You know, no facts. No. I don't need you anymore at that point. No. <clears throat> but so, yeah. uh, so I was running the one stop and. And I basically hardly ever talked to Henry the first four or five months I was there. Okay. But I used to work late. I used to work, like to work a little later. Mm. You know, I, I, where I lived in South Miami. And I told Milt this. I said, look, it, it's too hard for me to get to work there at 9 o'clock in the morning. Right. And nobody gives a damn about 9 in the morning anyway. Yeah. So I'll start at 10 and I'll work, you know, six, till 6 or 7. And right. he didn't care. Right. You know he was very cool about it, mm. and so you know Henry, at night you know Henry would start roaming his warehouse. You know he yeah. liked to look at his records. You know he yeah. was this guy. You know he had vinyl in his blood, as the you know the old expression went. Mm. And so he started talking to me about music and you know, about what I was doing with the one stop. He says, "Yeah, I see what we're doing. Unbelievable. What are you doing here?" I said, "Well, I organize and explained what I was doing." And and we started talking about music. And he said, "Well, you know I, I'm thinking about starting a. I'm really thinking about ramping up the record company." Yeah. You know, we had, we had Alston Records which was distributed through Atlantic, but we wanted to start our own company which was to become TK Records. Right. And um, so that's how we started TK Records. It was just right. sort of a lark.
1: So the, the the just a list of like the hits and or the major artists for TK because I don't know that everybody listening knows like
0: <sighs> Yeah. I mean, we were predominantly a, a. We started really as an R&B record company. The mm-hmm. idea was to sort of emulate Stax and Motown at the time. Right. Yeah. You know, be very self-contained. Right. Have a have a core of writers. You know, right. so we had the publishing, and we you know we could create talent out of that core of writers, and then make records. Right. You know, we really wanted to be self-contained, as I said, like you know, like Motown and Stax. Did. Right. But Henry, what you were we were talking yesterday, you were saying Henry is like a total Wexler. He, like, Jerry Wexler was his idol. Yeah, he had always said, and he said this to me any number of times. He wanted to be Jerry Wexler. Right. And that's ah, what he it's, wanted to good, be. It's good yeah, I mean, idolized. I mean. Yeah, no, I mean, Wexler, yeah. for whatever people say about him, and certainly there's a lot of people that didn't love him.
1: The genius. I he, mean, like, n- n- just you, it doesn't get much better. Yeah. Anymore.
0: What he did was, it, it, yeah. you know, it'll, it'll stand for. Uh, you know yeah. You've got to give him all the credit in the world. Absolutely. Um, no, I agree. You know, a that. lot of a lot of a lot of very successful men are extremely yeah. difficult.
1: Yeah, to so say the least so the, the label starts and you know are you basically like what does is, what is Henry envision your position at the label being once it's starting up well I mean, the,
0: the, my position initially was head of sales okay and um, I was the head of sales and uh, we, we, we produced our records in a little Spanish pressing plant in those days it was a 45 business right it was a singles business. Right. And I, I had said to Henry, look, this is not what I envision as a business. No. I said, you know, and the, the, to me, my biggest contribution was to explain to Henry and to get him to buy into the fact that there were hit, song, there were hit songs, mm. hit records, and there were hit artists. Right. And what you really want to do is develop hit artists. Yeah. And that's what we ended up doing. Okay. You know, of which, of course, Casey and the Sunshine Band was our biggest act. Yeah. By a mile. I mean, we Massive. sold yeah. tens of millions of records with wow. that. Wow. I mean, just enormous amounts of records. Crazy. And, um, you know, so, so so, and then as, as the company evolved, mm. you know, we started selling more records and, and our... our um, we couldn't. The, the Spanish pressing plant couldn't handle it, and it was also using some Cuban pressing plant. Some Cuban art designer. Oh, really? So, so everything looked like.
1: Uh, kind of had a sameness to it. It that looked had like, like
0: Fania soft drinks, you yeah, know. Oh, yeah, Fanta. Fania
1: was another label. Yeah, that's yeah. Right.
0: Fanta. Fanta. That's a whole other. That's thing. another yeah. story. altogether. Yeah. Right. That's, <laughs> that's true. Yeah. So I just said, "Look, we got to stop doing this." You know. Yeah. Was, so, so my job, and it was really interesting because it. It really boded so well, bode so well for my career later on. Because I learned to do things that nobody else did. Because, you know, today we're in a world of...
1: It's regimented. uh, Of niche. Yeah. Yeah.
0: You know, you you handle, you know, all the R&B records, Mm. you know, south of Mississippi, east of Illinois, and Mm. west of uh, of God knows what. Yeah. But so I really was in charge. So then I I was in charge of production, sales, and then I became in charge of promotion because nobody else knew anything about it. So it's funny, I was wearing like 19 hats at that point. Right. And, and I became the general manager shortly thereafter. Uh, you know, it was wow. just an official title. Um, so, I mean, I went to pressing plants and literally, you know, walked through pressing plants and they explained it to me and we found. I, I mean, I was the art director on, on some of our early album covers.
1: Right. In yeah. fact,
0: uh, some of the things like that, thing, you know, some of these, al- some of these yeah, paintings yeah. around here are, are album covers. Yeah. No, Oddly enough, uh, I, I did a series of uh, oil paintings for album covers, too, on a lot of the jazz stuff. Oh, okay. Yeah, you know, like cool. the Ralph McDonald one. That's, that's yeah, 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 yeah. No,
1: I know that one. That's yeah. like from one of his... Like, Sound
0: of the Drum. That yeah, was on our like... record. It was great. That, that, that's the one, by the way, that Calypso Breakdown was on yeah. that ended up in Saturday Night Fever. Yeah. So yeah. not only did we do Unbelievable on the record ourselves, Ralph then and us... Yeah, saw a pile of money because it was one of the tracks on Saturday Night Fever,
1: and that's a really early license onto a, you yeah. know, a soundtrack compilation right. that's right. gigantic. You know,
0: right. So, so well, was, what what the names? Some other. Yeah that was an interesting deal. Oh. How I got that on there.
1: Okay, I was going to ask yeah. you to name some artists. But well, tell, call, he tell calls
0: me up. Yeah. Al Corey calls up and says what? to me, "We want Casey in a Sunshine Band for this, for, ah. this particular, for this for Saturday Night Fever." Yeah. He says to me, no, first he says to me, I'm making a disco movie. Great. And I said, okay. And he said, um, I said, well, who's in it? And he goes, John Travolta. Now, you gotta remember, he's never been in anything at that time. No. No, no, no. And I said, is that the kid on... Uh, Welcome Back. On Welcome Back Carter? the thing with Gabe Kaplan? And he said, yeah. And I said, well, who gives a shit? <laughs> being... Yeah, being yes. perceptive you as I was. <laughs> idea. Yes, Howard, good job. Yeah. So I said, really? And he goes, yeah. I said, yeah, okay. So, you know, I'm, I'm thinking to myself. So he says, listen, there's some great music on there. Yeah. So, you know, a lot of it was kind of criteria. Yeah. Because that's where the Bee Gees were. So I, yeah. got, I got a chance to hear some of the music. Oh, okay. And I walked, you know, and I heard some of the music and I thought, oh my God, this yeah. stuff is unbelievable. Uh, yeah, yeah, So I thought even if the movie was a dud, which I thought, you know, you know, I, you know who, who would ever predict it was going to be Saturday Night Fever, anybody sure. who tells you that's lying. no. But I heard the music and I said, look, this hits on here. Yeah. So I said, look, you know, truthfully. I'll give you Casey and the Sunshine Band, but I want something else for it. Wow. I want you to put another song on there, otherwise no Casey. Yeah. He says, I can't do that. And I said, well, then I can't give you Casey. Right. You know, said, you mean you won't give it to him? I said, no. I said, you know, I'm it. Yeah, <laughs> said, yeah that's <laughs> it. He said, the buck stops here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He said, I, I've got a record out right now by this guy, Ralph McDonald, that's, which was a jazz artist, sure. but this Latin-flavored <laughs> yeah. R&B kind of Caribbean thing was banging in the clubs it was doing unbelievable and it was streaming up the the disco charts the jazz charts and the r&b chart all at once it's a great record yeah i mean it really was and so he said to me well i said well how about if i make you a deal if it goes top three you put it on ah
1: right so you put it on and if it doesn't
0: and i and i get casey and ralph yeah if it doesn't i'll give you casey Right, but th- and that's the only deal I'm going to make you. Yeah, he said you got it. So I then called up uh, Bill Wardlow, who ran, who ran yeah, uh, uh, Billboard, Billboard's yeah, disco yeah, chart, yeah, yeah, and yeah. I said, to Bill, you've been asking me to give you these two acts, and I've been, I've been saying I don't know if they'll do it. Yeah, they will do it. Yeah, under these conditions. Yeah. <laughs> now the truth is, ended up to be the record was big enough to go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. To that, go, to go top five anyway. But you know, I wanted yeah. to hedge my bet. Sure. You know, I was so that's well, so how <laughs> Ralph, you know
1: you know, sometimes jazz guys get a little pure about like their art but after ultimately, he saw, you know, he's he yeah. but after he
0: saw it. the first paycheck for three hundred dollars. Yeah, I was $2. just gonna <laughs> say dude, just and then, and then <laughs> came just the two of us. Yeah. No no no, no man. after he saw the paycheck yeah. for the you know, for having one song on that record. I mean, let's face it. No. You know, if you had anything on that song on that, on that album at all, you made huge money. I mean huge I mean, money. Huge money. Like, and, yeah. and so that's how I got that on that's how the, that's the deal I made with the that's,
1: that's great so and I was starting to ask you before you told the story just give me a list of like for for that run because I know there I mean you were telling All me right, you hung out point. with Pryor so that means you distributed comedy records you had R&B records yeah yeah jazz, yeah.
0: well that's when I worked for the label right I worked for the distributor right now we had Richard Pryor who was on Laugh Records yes that that's... and and they would you know people in those days would do promotional tours right and and so I had all the comedians for some reason, mm. you know, like I mean, which was great. Yeah. <clears throat> you know, because they thought. Well, oh. sometimes comedians are also. Yeah. A pain in the ass. Th- that's true. But, but I I had I, I was very fortunate. I yeah. mean, I had Carlin. I traveled with him and Pryor and Carlin and and Pryor and, and Rodney Dangerfield, who was uh, a treat, nice. and yeah, and even Robin Williams. Yeah, yeah. Because he yeah. had that Early. record in Casablanca. That's right. So. And Pryor came down, and uh, and he, he actually had he was he went from laugh mm-hmm. to a label a very narrow label that nobody's ever heard of called Partee Records. Okay. Yeah. And it was it was a subsidiary of stacks, It was it was yeah. their own label. But Stax was distributing it, right? And that was really his career blew up because that was the "That Nigger's Crazy" album.
1: Yeah, no, that's it. That's yeah. that's the, that's absolutely the one that, that, that blew so up. And well, wasn't the, that a label that he, he and his lawyer owned, or uh, is that?
0: It may well have been. You know, yeah. I, I was twenty-one or twenty. Yeah, 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 I was yeah. twenty-one years old. I, yeah. uh, you know, I, I mean, I don't. I'm, no. I'm assuming you're probably right. It was. Wow. It was probably him, and you know who also owned part of it, David Banks.
1: Oh, that, yeah. The Reverend Dave yeah, Banks. Yeah. Such a I, I know
0: that because yeah. I, I got a call from Banks one day when Pryor was coming down. Okay. And so I traveled with Pryor all through the state of Florida for a week, which was hysterical. I had the funniest yeah. week. And he, so me, it was me, Richard Pryor, you know, a, a trunk full of records. Yeah. In my red Corvair convertible. Now, if you remember the Corvair, that's, that's the, that's the, uh, uh, what is that? That's the car that Ralph Nader did that thing unsafe in any state Yeah, <laughs> that's the, yeah. So I used to take it on the road. I used uh, to take a you know you know one of those cement blocks from building. Sure. And it, and the, 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 it was a rear engine car. Yeah. So I used to put the block and I used to put the block in the front, the cement block for stability. Stable, yeah. yeah. For uh-huh. stability in the car. <laughs> Good Lord. So you got you and Pryor. Me and that, me through. and Pryor driving through the state of Florida. <laughs> oh, that's. Great. I, I had it was so much fun. It
1: uh-huh. was so much fun. All right, so, all right, so that's at the distributor, but at TK, was T, TK uh, so really... You want
0: the late, the, yeah, like, some of the artists like, we had? Yeah, just so... Oh, well, of course, Casey and the Sunshine Bay yeah. was the biggest one. And yeah. we had Betty Wright, who had multiple Oh, she is, Yeah. Yeah, Betty had some great records. We had uh, we had uh, Beginning of the End, of one bad song, Funky Nassau. Yeah. We Of course, we had George McRae, who ended up having yeah. the biggest dance record at the time in the history of Europe and it was really the first Rock Me Baby Rock Your Baby Rock Your Baby yeah it was was really the first international it it was the it was the genre changing record yep that was the first international disco hit I mean we
1: I'll tell you something my first memory of ever hearing a song on the radio is that song and I just, it, that is an incredible record. That's was, an incredible it record. It was frightening because yeah. we were with a
0: small little company. Yeah. And I'm sitting there in my office. You know, I'm, I'm promoting the record and doing sales at the same time. Yeah. And in one afternoon, I got orders for 700,000 records.
1: Yeah.
0: I mean, I, I, I called Henry up in the morning. Because he, wow. Henry never used to come in before 11 o'clock. Right. And I, I said. Sure, that got him to come in. I said, look, we got an issue. I said, here's the, here's the good news and the bad news. The good news in, we just we just got an order for more records than we sold in the last six months. Yeah. Well, the bad news is, bad is we news just is
1: got more orders for more records <laughs> than
0: we did. Yeah. Yeah, right, exactly. And yeah. our, our capacity to produce records Oof. is at about 120000 a week. Yeah. So I then... With masters in my hand, yeah. I had the mothers in my hand. Yeah, you know? <laughs> yeah. He's <laughs> Whenever... referring to
1: the tapes, the actual like y- yeah. Y- yeah,
0: the things you get, you give that you give those to the plant, and, yeah. they, and they and in those days there was something called injection molding. Yeah, you know, and they slapped, the, you know, the, the, yeah. this thing would act as the as the. Uh,
1: it's like the, it's the mold.
0: The it's game. the mold, yeah, just like you'd make a toy. Yeah. Just like, you know, Tyco would make a toy. Same kind of thing, it's injection molding, only yeah. if you make a record out of it. So
1: you have to find, like, six
0: more plants. So I, I, I went around and I found a guy at this great company in, in Long Island called Shelley Products who really could crank out records. Oh, that's great. And then we found a couple other people, and so we got our capacity up to about half a million, or and really about six days' time. About. Wow. Six, 600,000 a week in no time at all. Wow. Yeah.
1: And that record really, saw, I mean, what did it end up well, selling? It's well,
0: like, it became the biggest record in RCA International's history. Yeah. It sold, it sold, uh, I think it was eight and a half million. Oh, wow. A, a, internationally. No, yeah. And yeah. that's not to mention what it sold here in the States. It's huge. It, it was, it, it was yeah. unfathomable how yeah. that record was everywhere. But it really, that record
1: changed moving forward how a lot of like, it just groove and dance music. Well the interesting moving. part of that
0: record was this. Yeah. The interesting part of that record was, that was, that song was written by Casey and the Sunshine Band. Oh yeah. I mean Harry Casey and, and, and Rick Finch wrote that song. Right. And um, which was kind of interesting and George McRae was hanging around and I, would just given him like $32 to pay his light bill. Yeah. And he was hanging around, and Casey had recorded it, and you know the decision was, well, let's give George a try. Because he can handle that full set part. Yeah, of it. yeah, yeah, yeah. And the concept of Casey as an artist was still maybe, not. maybe, you know, and um, it just it was incredible.
1: Yeah, that record's that's amazing. That's my that's well of all the records you mentioned so far. I mean, that's, that's well, that, really that, my favorite one, but it's, yeah,
0: it's like, that was an extraordinary record. It was an extraordinary record, and then of course Casey had. You know the funny thing about Casey—he had more number one hits in a row at that point in time. He—he mm-hmm. he actually broke the Beatles' record for number one singles in a row, which is so hard to believe. To yeah. even to even categorize Casey and the Beatles in the same sentence. No, but you know. Is, you you know. know. I but, mean, yeah. not, but I mean, just just from a record, you know, and, and not, nothing wrong with Casey and the Sunshine Band. No, 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 no. But I mean, it's just you know, not,
1: you, you know, one is.
0: It just shows sure you how statistics are. You know, you, yeah, you, one of those statistical anomalies where. Yeah. Uh, But uh, but that that's how hot they were. That that's how hot that band was. And and they really, you know, they were to me. I always wanted to have, um, you know, like you know, a a funky white band. Yeah. A good time funky white band. Well, that was that. That made you know that made to me they were they were the white version of the Jackson Five at that point. That's
1: interesting. Yeah.
0: You know, from my just, and I hate yeah. to use analogies about it because it always is yeah, so yeah, foolish. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: So I mean, well, how did you even get into the disco business in the first place? Well, you know, we were, we were way already, early in the game. Right?
0: Yeah. Well, we were really an R uh, and B company, and you know, my personal belief, and it's just strictly my own personal belief. You know, m- music sometimes is a reflection of the times. Yeah. You know, and I think. America was really in a strange place in the 60s and 70s. You know, we came out of the Vietnam War and, you know, obviously a lot of people were killed and it was a very interesting time. And And I think people wanted just, they wanted good time music. They didn't want anything complicated. They wanted to, you know, they wanted to dance. And I think vit- disco became that vehicle. You know, I don't think they wanted the the seriousness to some degree of, of because uh, don't forget a lot of the pop music was about protest and about yeah so. and I think people just wanted to have fun you know the war you know the war was closing the war had come to an end and, and I just think people wanted to have a good time and I think disco became that vehicle and so we were basically really an R&B company like I said we tried to do it in the Stax Motown era, you know yeah. now I was up in New York on a on a business trip Mm. And I went to our distributor, Malvern, mm. and I was running around and you know I was there, and I was in record stores and, and, uh, and Malvern had a couple of retailers over there and they said and they introduced me, this is you know Howard Smiley from you know, the VP from TK Records and they, and they, the two guys said to me, "You have the biggest disco record in New York." And me in my infinite wisdom said. What's a disco record? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean early on does not even begin you know you gotta yeah. remember we were in Hialeah, Florida yeah you know we were sequestered, which was the good news bad news for us sure we were yeah. sequestered in, in our own little planet
1: yeah
0: but at that point there there really was no you know it was just something that was on the bubble you know it was yeah. something that was and and they said to me, I said, what's that and they started to explain it to me and about and at that point, there was maybe only a couple of clubs, and they were all the way downtown. Yeah. So one of these guys took me to, I said, well, he met me like at 11 or 12 at night. Yeah. And I w- we went down to this club together. And I walked in, and I went, oh, my God. Because yeah. then the funny thing is, I had, we had had some pressings of records, you know, we were going to put out. Sure. And, uh, and he said, do you have anything danceable? And I said, yeah, we had this record, whatever it was, I don't even remember at the no. time. And he said, well give it to the DJ, he'll tell you if it's anything. And they put it on and it was, it went and I said, wow. You could see the generation, like when, when right. they put a good record on, people just exploded. And I said, Oh my God. And the DJ said, You got a hit. You know what? So really oh, yeah. seeing this this activity, <clears throat> I said, man, this is there's an industry here. Yeah. There's a business here. And so we then. Had sort of this double focus, you know. We, we had our R&B records, which we always wanted to be an R&B company, yeah. but we also looked at, at, at danceable music and tried to promote that end of it because we wanted to be in a place where other people weren't. Right. Because we were not going to compete with Columbia Records with pop music.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: You know, we, we wanted to. You know, it's the old We Willie Keeler them where they ain't. Yeah, 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 yeah. And so, so something, you know, we were flexible and mobile. Yeah. You know, where, you know, those big companies like Columbia and Warner yeah, Brothers, yeah, yeah. you know, they had a wonderfully entrenched business and they, d- they didn't turn on a dime, Mm-mm. nor did they respond to, tr- you know, they didn't respond, they didn't jump on trends, they responded after. But they yeah. they were reactive versus proactive. Yeah. They
1: yeah, we were proactive. Let's face it, they always kind <clears throat> of have been that way. I mean, sure. that, that stayed that way. No, it's not. It's not. Even their reaction to the internet, is it was a reaction. They didn't yeah. adopt. They, whoa happened and from
0: my point of view we needed to be proactive well yeah and there was there was a piece of business that from my point of view looked like it was going to be something right so all of a sudden it was like it was really like us Casablanca and Sal Sol
1: yeah as
0: I remember yeah. who really the people who took disco seriously yeah and then of course they was sprung you know shortly thereafter a million you know labels yeah, like yeah, Midland yeah. and this one and that one and the other right. one and uh you know and the the, the, became the era of the, the you know the, the mixer and the DJ and yeah. and I became friendly with some people like John Luongo who was sort of the yeah. disco guy in yeah in Boston I
1: still talked I talked to him
0: I still talked to John to a wonderful yeah. wonderful yeah. guy great yeah. terrific guy and John sort of you know I listened to what he had to say and when I was up in Boston um we went, you know, he helped me with the clubs, and, mm. and I, you know, he, he had his magazine out, and he also had a radio show, which I did an interview on, which a few uh, times... Which, he, <laughs> which is pretty funny. Yeah. <laughs> wow. But, so that's kind of how we got into the disco business. It was really, frankly, you know, by, Just, ac- by accident. But, I mean, I say it's by accident, but sometimes an accident, you have to realize you're about to have an accident. Sure. You know, I could have looked at, you know, we could have looked at this and said... Yeah. Yeah, you know, great. Thank you very yeah. much. Next case. Exactly. Let's go back to making records that, you know, that we can put on the air and, you know, in the, in the Chitlin circuit. Sure. But we reacted to it and it really was a very important piece of business and it gave us sort of an identity. Yeah. It Very really gave so. this little, you know, and it created what ended up to be the Miami Sound. Yeah. And this sort of R&B and dance thing at the same time.
1: Well, I was going to say, because, you know, if, if you were setting up a stable of writers, did some of those writers start out as being R&B guys that said, well, hey, wait a minute, I can work in this other thing. Were there guys that were like R&B guys that said I could make dance records and that had hits? Or was I, it? I,
0: I, think, I, think the diff- I think the change was really in, in the production itself. Right. You know, because I think what happens is if if you just think about something from your neighborhood, you know, Philadelphia with Gamble and Huff.
1: Yeah.
0: I mean they were always great writers. Yeah. But all of a sudden they had the biggest dance records in the world. Right. At the same time. And I think a lot of that was everybody went to putting a lot of sweetening on records and things yeah, yeah, like yeah. that. So so I think the the basic R and B record produced in you know for multiple genres yeah. really were the big winners.
1: Yeah, because they were Cause great made, songs yeah. and they were really well. And you
0: and you made yeah, like yeah. With the, you know they put tons of strings and horns and yeah, you know they made them they made them yeah. they made those records danceable you know a, a disco type record yeah at the same time but they were still great you know I mean look Backstabbers. yeah well any of those yeah, things yeah, yeah, look, yeah, yeah. look at all those and Off records would uh-huh. anybody say that Gambling Off were were dance producers? Mm-mm. Hell no, but I guarantee you yeah they sold tens of millions of those records were so you know you, yeah. you you couldn't walk into a club and not hear Harold merylvin or yeah or you know the the three degrees or, or ojs ojs yeah. yeah right all of them. i mean backstabbing yeah. like yeah that. it's and such was, a yeah. like
1: classic right yeah but it's interesting because those guys would have maybe gone and a specific direction but because of what was going on because the labels like yours blowing up they had to they react- adapted yeah they, had they adapted. definitely adapted they
0: adapted and, 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 that, and i think yeah so yeah. so they i think it was it's not that they they still made r&b records mm. but i think in the production process mm. they became like multiple genre records right Right, right, right. and frankly what it did was from my point of view it also sweetened those up because those are the records that crossed more yeah you know like Stax didn't cross a lot of records no you know I mean Stax was an incredible company
1: yeah
0: but you know but it I mean, was its thing and its I mean thing. they were just absolute pure funk yeah and, and I and so they sort of you know not, not that what they did was just not extraordinary because yeah. that was an extraordinary company no but so I think as I say the, the it ended up in the production itself and the yeah. smart I mean like like the OJ's you, you think about the intro to Backstabbers
1: yeah
0: I mean look at all the great dance records you know yeah. like they seemed to have there was there was some commonality of those great intros you know yeah, those yeah, great yeah. instrumental intros yeah you yeah. know like Sister Sledge you know Nile Rodgers yeah man.
1: well Chic is like to me Chic is the the height, and you might disagree but you know Bernard Edwards and Nile Rodgers looked at a specific thing and they brought this aesthetic from like, it's funny, I've heard him interviewed and it was like, his whole thing was like Harlem Renaissance meets disco. So there's a sophistication and class and a level of slick production meets great song. And don't forget, Luther Vandross did all the vocals on the records. I mean, he was, you know, obviously there's the two female leads, but Luther would arrange and, and those those records are spectacular. They're, they're great they're, they're really spectacular. They're great
0: records. records. And, and they, they were really, they, they set, they, they're they one of those groups of producers, you yeah. know, much like uh, uh, Freddie Perrin and some of those yeah, other guys, yeah, 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 that yeah. sort of set the tone for yeah. what dance music was. Yeah,
1: absolutely. You know, mm.
0: and, and, But I, I think if you look at the great, the best disco records to a large degree, because it was a whole lot of Euro disco. Sure. And that was, to me, that was like Pablon. I well, hate to the, admit it. It, but, was, it was great in a club. But it informed those guys.
1: Yeah. It really did. They, you know, like the Sergio you know, Marauders and the, you George know. Giorgio and Giorgio Sergio yeah. Jesus okay. Christ. Giorgio yeah. 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 Giorgio marauder I mean, that stuff, that's undeniable. Oh, he made respect. Don't forget,
0: he made those records in Germany. Yeah, I know. <clears throat> yeah, he
1: made those records in Germany. So did Sergio Moroder, by the way,
0: <laughs> his cousin, <laughs> not as successful.
1: Yeah, Sergio Re- played. Regional hits, the Benelux.
0: Yeah, yes, yeah. Sergio uh, <laughs> played, yeah, I think he played second base for the Indians. That's right, In about that. 2.30. <laughs> yeah,
1: that's great. Oh, God, that stays in.
0: Um, <laughs> but, yeah,
1: I mean, they weren't, <clears throat> it's funny because there's, just like English, You know, like English, like the Beatles informed the Beach Boys informed, like, you know, all these things, European dance music and electronic music production informed R&B in like, it's, it still exists now a little bit. It's way less than it used to be, but there was a whole scene in Detroit that informed a whole scene in Berlin and those things went back and forth and it was all who used synthesizers a certain way and a whole techno scene which I'm oh, not a my, huge fan of but just. Yeah, it's the same my first
0: thing. my first time in England, you know, I, I realized how many of those artists they love the blues. Oh, absolutely. I mean I I had no idea how Yeah. How? to the point
1: where Led Zeppelin stole blues songs yeah well, I mean like yeah. and Willie
0: Dixon and Willie, yeah, and Dixon, Willie later Dixon later sued them for millions of dollars and won good yeah. <laughs> which but, he deserved
1: yeah. yeah but there was definitely that cause and effect it's like American blues music affects that, English rock music you know
0: yeah and guys like Lennon and McCartney and those guys talked about that I think Clapton talked about how much he loved the blues over and over oh yeah
1: yeah I mean he made it into
0: a whole thing yeah, yeah I mean I think those guys love you know like chess records they love Loved. Yeah. Well, what was not the love if you no, like exactly, the Yes. Yeah. That, that was a unique that was a unique operation. No. And I think that was what was interesting when I got in the business. Yeah. There were those unique one-off companies. Yeah. Which doesn't exist anymore. And I think that's where the character of the music business yeah. disappeared. Absolutely. You know, when I was a kid, you know, there was a Chess Records, you know, I, I mm. remember talking to Marshall Chess and there was a you know, Neil Bogart was at Buddha, and, yeah, you know, yeah. and then later at Casablanca. And I was going to say, I, I
1: know. And, and Florence
0: Greenberg was at Scepter Records and, yeah. you know, where, where, where she had the foresight to get, uh, get uh, um, Burt Backerak and Hal David to write all of um, yeah, Dionne, Warwick. Dionne Warwick's yeah.
1: material. And, so signature, so yeah. specific and, and there identifiable. Tons of, uh,
0: yeah, fantasy records, you know, with cre- there was a Creed's, million of these yeah. little companies that actually could flourish and survive and it was a very interesting thing it was a very interesting time and unfortunately I think when all these people either sold out or they couldn't survive anymore you get what you got today you know it's almost like retail today I often say that if someone drops you in a mall Without telling where you are. You it teleports you. Never You know. could be in Cleveland, you could be in Pittsburgh, you could be in New Orleans, you could be in Poland. Yeah. You know, it's the same gap, this the same twenty five stores are there. Yeah. You know, the independent, you know, those those great cool little stores are gone.
1: Yeah.
0: And that's what happened with the record business too, by the way. All the well, cool. I,
1: I think it yeah, and it's funny. It, it you, you know, yeah. it based, that culture and that environment affects everything. I'm sure it it's does. happened in publishing, it's happened um, in you know, in music. So, you know, what you're left with is this void of specialty. There's no specialty, there's no niche, there's no... And it's interesting, you know, like, if you were start, If you, specifically, Howard Smiley, were starting in the record business right now, you wouldn't be. No. I wouldn't, that, and that's probably it in a nutshell, you know what I mean? Like, I,
0: I feel so bad for kids starting in music today. I really do. I... I uh, my biggest fear is, um, is that music will not have the presence, the place in, in culture as it did. No. You know, there's no way for artists to, uh, to, to grow, to learn their craft, mm-hmm. to, sit, you know, to sit in a Brill building and learn how to write, right. among other great writers, to be able mm-hmm. to go on the road and play and you know, play 50, 75 dates and learn their craft and become the next yeah. Zeppelin, Jethro Tull, you name it.
1: Yeah. No, it's, you know, to,
0: it, that, sit, to sit in a place in Memphis, you know, and, yeah. and, 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 you know, some young guy and write with David Porter and, and this one and that one and the other one. Yeah. But, well, it doesn't...
1: It exists differently now. Now you build a YouTube channel and you get, you know, fans through a portal that, you know, it's all or nothing.
0: But I don't think that these people are going to have the breadth of catalog. No. It's not going to be someone when you, when you turn around and look, the, you know, Fleetwood Mac has 15 albums, yeah. you know, the, Ray Charles has 25 albums, you know, yeah. I, I don't know that's going to ever happen anymore. And I feel sorry for these kids because I got into the music business because I love music. Yeah. You know, I remember thinking at one point in time, you know, when I was young, I was, I was sitting in a car outside of Schwartz Brothers Distributor. Mm. talking to oh god what the hell is his name he later worked with me at Polygram he was that at a production uh, he, he was working for Schwartz Brothers he was like their GM or something okay and I said to him man you know if I could ever make $25,000 a year <laughs> it'd be like stealing money yeah. wow Wow. you know I could yeah. be in music I could have music all the free records I want I'd be around music yeah. and, and it it'd be that was really what I wanted for my life sure you know of course later on I wanted to pay that much taxes every month
1: you know? <laughs> no i know i hear that but
0: too. you know that that's when the business changed off from, sort of from being a singles business to being an album business. right 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 and right, the right. whole and the whole you know the whole financial dynamic of the business changed
1: well and that sort of leads me to like you you work for henry for x amount of years and at what point do you come to new york you do about you know, early, mid '80s or you know, into yeah, about 80s. ten years. End of
0: the '80s, I I worked for Henry, um, yeah. and we had a dispute, uh, <laughs> as he had with
1: many people. Yeah, he wasn't making quite enough money and didn't want to share. No, I'm no, sure. no, he.
0: He, he, we, I had a piece of the business, and, oh, okay. so, and he didn't want to pay me, and you know, yeah. I ended up suing him. But that's mm-hmm. beside the point. I've
1: never heard a story like this from inside the record business. That's like uh, tight knit community of Manhattan stunned by couples' divorce. You know? <laughs> it's just, yeah. yeah, it's it is a business rot with stories. And like it was very
0: really sad for him because it was really that old Sid. Nathan, he learned from Sid Nathan, and they, oh. you know, all those guys, they. They they didn't pay anybody. No. And that ended up to be the downfall. That ended up the downfall of the company. It ends up To to be honest with you, because you lose good people. Yeah. Anyway, so I went into business for myself. I started my own production company for a while. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, and I had a couple of hits. Really? Yeah, I had some hits. I had the, I had a bunch of them. Actually, I did the dance version for RSO of "Don't Cry for Me, Argentina" with. Uh,
1: oh wow! Okay. I, I mean the the yeah. whole
0: the whole, uh, the, 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 the Avita Avita?
1: soundtrack. Yeah, is that?
0: Which ended up being a gold record. Wow. Yeah, and, and the the record. I mean, it was unbelievable how good that went. And I had a a, a couple of I had a bunch of hits, including one that I loved. I made I did one for A and M Howard Johnson a song called So Fine, which went, which went to number one R and B and crossed the. Howard world.
1: Johnson the. Tuba? No, no no, there was a
0: singer named Howard Johnson. Oh, I
1: was going to say No, know, he had a couple of hits. Yeah.
0: Great singer, but you know. Yeah. And actually, Kashif produced that yeah, record. Yeah yeah, I remember. I got Kashif to produce that first record. That's great. Yeah. yeah he's a big producer. And uh, so I was doing that and doing promotion my own production company and. Um, I came to realize that the business was consolidating yeah. and I, I was very, you know I had turned down a bunch of jobs in other places. Yeah. I for some reason was in demand so to speak or at yeah. least I had had enough offers, right. I had multiple offers to go other places Right. and I really, you know I was a Miami boy and I loved Miami and I thought I'll stay here, you know I like Miami. Yeah. But when I came to realize that everything was constricting,
1: right?
0: you know and, and it was either Move to another place, or get a job as a bad boy and win Dixie. And those seem to be my two options. <laughs> you know, Why not so,
1: Piggly Wiggly? Yeah, enjoy. well, yeah, there you go.
0: <laughs> so uh, uh, Chuck Kay from uh, Oh yeah, from well. Who was run, running Warner Brothers Music Publishing Warner, Company? Yeah, Warner.
1: Channel.
0: Hired me to run the the Warner Brothers office here in New York City. Okay. You know, they wanted to have a two coast, you know, run run it out of two coasts. And so he hired me to do that. For publishing or for publishing, I really? worked for Warner
1: Brothers Music. I didn't know you ever worked in publishing. I only business. did it for a year. Okay, yeah, it's a different world. It's a totally different
0: I, 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 well, you know. Don't forget, but we we started the publishing company at sure. TK, which I also was heavily involved. Gotcha. in. Gotcha. So you so I understood, you well,
1: understood the, the well, you know, because
0: because I had been I had also been in A and R. Yeah. Besides that, I signed artists at TK too. Some of them. Right. So you know, I understood the creative side. I understood the you know the financial dynamics of, of the publishing business. Right. So you know, I could be left alone to. I didn't, I didn't have to be in a big office where I could ask something. Didn't you also set up
1: the weekly uh, mixer in the office <laughs> and the buffet? and Like, Jesus Christ, you did you, basically you, everything at the.
0: You do, because. Yeah, it, you have to. And that was sort of Henry, if you wanted to do, just do it, you know? Let me ask you this what did Henry do if you did these 16 what Well, Henry minutes? ran the company. Henry, oh, okay. Henry was the CEO. Uh, Henry signed artists. I get it, artist. I get it, I know. Henry signed he artists. Found, Henry talked he found, to us. Yeah, Henry was the CEO. He okay. was the, you know, he was, he was not a micromanager. No. So we needed people, and we were a very small company. And Henry, of course, didn't want to hire anybody to do anything. Right. And thought you could run the whole business with like six people. Right. So uh-huh. you know, someone had to do it. So it yeah. just fell on me, you know. <laughs> so anything that flowed from what a record was supposed to be—right. Production, art direction—you right. know, distribution, distribution, sales. sales you know, nobody knew anything about promotion, PR. you know. No, PR, we hired... You're uh, always hired out. We had, we had a woman named Janet Osaroff who used oh, to Oh, yeah. Out. I know Janice Janet. Yeah. Janet worked at Atlantic who was absolutely terrific. Yeah. She was wonderful. Wow. And uh, Janet came in and did our PR and right. uh, we had some other folks working there. Gotcha. There was a core of us, like six of us who started the company, five of us who started the company. There's a guy named Gary Schaefer and Steve Alamo and myself and a guy mm. named Fred Rector and that was pretty much the core yeah. of the company.
1: No, that's great, but so you. But eventually, you're up here. You're, so you so I was working Waters, here. Yeah.
0: I was working here, and I was, it was kind of interesting. It's really a strange story, but it's really how I, got, how I got into special markets in a way. Yeah, because I was here and I was sort of alone, and it was. Uh, I wasn't alone. I had a small, small company I was working for, but. Yeah. The music publishing business was very political at that point, and mm. and the guys out in LA weren't thrilled that they opened up this other office, and no. they had to talk to me, and
1: yeah,
0: you know, it was a, a lot of silly rec- it s- wasn't a silly, good fit. It was a silly thing. It was, no. it was just you know that silly political nonsense. No. I was sharing the floor with Warner Brothers' licensing division. Ah. Now Warner Brothers Licensing Company was very substantial. <clears throat> you know they had Looney Tunes. Sure. They had all the DC Comics stuff. Yeah. You know, which included, ba- you know, you yeah, know yeah, all, yeah. all of that stuff.
1: Really They had
0: properties. Warner's TV properties. They had the music. You know, the, the film company. You know, yeah. they. Had, and then they and then they brought things in from the outside. Mm-hmm. And at the time before these two people took it in the house, and you'll find this interesting, Warner Brothers was the licensor for Major League Baseball and the National Hockey League.
1: Wow. They so they the, used
0: they outsourced. They their, were the, yeah, they the Major League Baseball and National Hockey League used Warner Brothers and that's where I met Bob Bell. Right. Bob was running their licensing company. Right. And we became friendly. Yeah. You know, I would moved up from New York and he he liked music and all of a sudden he sees stars walking in and out of there occasionally, yeah, 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 yeah. So, you know, like music and he said, "Man, what I said yes. Yeah, so here's, you know, so I, started, I gave him a couple of CDs. You know, yeah, he yeah, was, yeah, yeah. you know, he was thrilled. Oh my God, someone gave me a free CD. Yeah. And and um, so he said to me, "Did you ever go to a hockey game?" I said, "I grew up in Florida." <laughs> I said, "The only yeah, ice, ice doesn't
1: last long." Yeah. I yeah. said, so "The
0: only ice I ever saw was in my father's Scotch glass." Yeah.
1: Exactly. You know, that, was the,
0: <laughs> that was the only ice
1: I ever, Yeah. In
0: my mother's refrigerator. Exactly. <clears throat> So I said, "You ever see?" I? I said, "No." He said, "Well, okay. Two weeks from now, I'm going to take you to your first game. So you're going to start right at the top." Yeah. So he took me to see the the the, uh, the Edmonton Oilers, oh. who had yeah, they uh, were the, that was the that Gretzky, B.
1: Messier, you know, like you uh, know,
0: the Brent um, the Jiro Anderson, Gale. all those guys, you know, uh, Yari Curry. Yeah, Yari Curry. <laughs> that's that whole team. I was for and, and so you know, I, I knew as much about hockey as I did about the. Uh, Field hockey. hockey. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> so they did about, the, you know, what was that thing with the broom, you know? Yeah. <laughs> the Sunday Olympics. Curling. Curling, yeah. yeah. I knew about equal a amount. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so. That's great. Yeah, like I said, it wasn't exactly a huge sport growing up in mm-hmm. Florida. No. The Atlantic Ocean didn't freeze over too many times. No. So. And so uh, we became friendly. And then about <laughs> six months into this relationship, he comes to me and says to me, now Bob had worked at the National Hockey at, at NFL. Oh really? He was the number two guy at the licensing at the NFL, and when uh, they, when they when they, when Warner Brothers got baseball and hockey, they wanted an experienced guy who understood sports. Mark, you know. so they, they so sports him licensing, out, so they brought know. him in.
1: Perfect.
0: And it was a good match, and he got to expand himself into the other product licensing too, like you know, uh, you know Looney Tunes and et etc. Yeah. Et entertainment, the entertainment market, right? Exactly, yeah. entertainment licensing. So he said to me one day. He said, um, um, I'm giving my notice next week. And I said, are you out of your goddamn mind? Yeah. Was my first response. Yeah. I said, you've been here 15 years. You run the company.
1: Mm.
0: You, the company does great. Nobody cares about you. Yeah. You know, cool. you don't even, they don't even, you know, like, yeah. why would you do such a thing? He said, I, 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 I don't want to do this anymore. I said, man, you should rethink your position. He said, well, I've already had four times. And I had, had this conversation with my wife. Two or three times. Mm. I said, Would he have something already?" He said, "No." So he hands in his resignation a week later, and he gives him a month because he's going to have to find somebody. And about two weeks into this, you know, since I was on the same floor with him, we were the other company on the floor with the licensing division. It It was our two companies, right? And I guess I was easier to talk to because I was not in that company. I was not in his company, you know, so so it
1: was easy to sort of talk to him. Sure, people. you're not someone that's like, you know, you're, you could yeah, be and, like a, someone to speak to. And, and
0: not, there was no, wasn't going to get around. No. So he said to me, you know, Warners doesn't want to lose me. So they they made me an offer to start, uh, you know, to start something. And so I, I'm going to do something, uh, I'm going to start this company uh, that's, you know, a licensing company, and um, with them, you know, it's going to be open-ended to do right. anything I want. Oh, wow. He said, you know, they have all these properties, and he said, between you and I, it looks like <clears throat> Warner and um, Time are going to merge very shortly.
1: Oh, of course, yes. So That's, yeah.
0: They're they going to merge very shortly. I so said, this is, you know, no, it's not really for public public consumption yet, because mm. nobody really, and I, you know, like even yeah. telling you this is... Mm. But, uh, you know, so there's going to be even more properties. And so we're going to try to generate as much right. revenue as possible. You know, he said, I'm, would you be interested in joining me? And I, and as I said to you before, the the fit wasn't good. You know, yeah, so yeah, yeah, you and knew I, I said, yeah. And I said, yeah. So that's how I met Bob. And then we ended up doing a lot of music stuff. Right. So we ended up doing a lot of that that special markets type things, creating, you know, corporate... Yeah, pro, yeah. Pro, was pro, that like you, I remember
1: getting like because you always sent whatever you worked <laughs> on. I always got like box sets and yeah. CD, whatever it was, like Playboy. Like you know, was that later or was that, yeah, that was later. That was that was polygram, that was, polygram, that was polygram, but, but, polygram. but no, but definitely like there would be things, yeah. specialty items, like
0: and not even that, even 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 doing products with comp- you know, the the retail products we had with with people who never sold records before. Sure, like like we had the Sinatra box set. Yeah. So I had to talk to the Sinatra people to, to get my, the okay for the do stuff, which was pretty right, funny because right, like, right. all those guys are yeah, like, that's so <clears throat> that's, up, that. that's like a, whole, that's like that's yeah. like a 1950s movie doing that. Yeah. Totally. That's like. <laughs> but that's great. <crazy. clears throat> and it's like, it's and like, they liked me, you know, because I was, you know, yeah. sort of a fit their M.O., you know, a yeah, yeah. like regular street kind of guy, you know, which I was. Yeah. Totally. I wasn't exactly your basic button yeah. down, uh, you no. know, bow tie Harvard kind of guy. <laughs> <laughs> so there was a relatability factor and they, they trusted me in those so at that point that's how we started right. and we did unbelievable at Warner's Bob and I we started this company it just, it just blew up it, it did unbelievable how long were you guys there? because I, I, I think oh, about 11 years or something
1: I know that and I'll go on public very loud record as saying is that at some point you and Bob gave my father uh, a phone and an office to do essentially almost Not- nothing <laughs> and thank you no that he i remember i would i would I would be at school and i would be like what are you doing he's like listen babe i got a phone and i'm, I'm sitting i'm looking at the lovely howard smiling and we're thinking <laughs> up." Things. That's all you need to know. And it was just like it kept him in business while he was, like, you know, launching a label. Or, yeah. I know he did a couple things. Like, he definitely helped put some sort of things together. But it always cracked me up. I'm, I would never know what was going on.
0: Well, you know, look, I, I'm kind of old school about taking care of my friends. You know? yeah, yeah, well, you definitely took care of him. That was cool. You know, and I, I uh, Joel was, uh. I'll never like I said, he found me when I was a kid, you know, I was working at, uh, I was working at the, I was just another schmuck at the distributor, Yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, when he identified me and told the Atlantic people. And all of a sudden I was like, yeah. when they called they called for me.
1: Right. So all of a sudden I, you became, created a lane of communication. This lane. Like,
0: yeah. This, this whole thing. Oh yeah, no, that's,
1: and that's the thing, you know, like that's the thing that, you know, I tell, and you, we were talking yeah. earlier about people like young people getting into this business. I don't care what's going on stylistically i always say the same thing it's all about relationships yeah you got to be cool with everyone and it's just this you know like any other thing it's you're going to meet the same people going up as you will going down and you know what seinfeld said this on a barbara Walters special once he said i'm in i'm on a ferris wheel and i'm on the top and i know what's coming next you know what i mean like you you just gotta do stuff so yeah Good good on him for recognizing that you had some As
0: you know my son very well, Jasper. Yeah. I've often you know, he lives in a modern world. But <laughs> I I've hope also so. th- it's
1: right now, yeah.
0: Yeah, well thank God he doesn't live in the one I think about. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and, but, but I've often tried to extol the virtues of how my generation operated. Yeah. Because I still think it works. I, I still I still think that talking to somebody, as like you say, building a relationship. Yeah is still the most important thing in the world.
1: Absolutely. You know,
0: that's how, you know, you, you communicate with somebody. They get to know you. They get to like you. They get to buy you. <clears throat> and as you said, like the Jerry, the, uh, the Jerry Seinfeld thing, my explanation to Jasper was very similar to them. I said, mm-hmm. listen, it's a short life and people have a long memory. Yeah. yeah. No, you know, I, I've heard you <laughs> say that before.
1: And it's totally true. <laughs> so just, it's, you know, smut, you get more flies with honey.
0: Yeah, and so, and and I think that's, uh, he kind of started, he's starting to get that now. He's a senior in college, but he's starting to get that. Yeah. Which is terrific. He understands the value of personal relationships. Yeah, but
1: that, yeah, but so back to, all right, so let's segue back into not just my father sitting in, by the way, I met, I did get to meet Lee Friedlander in that office because my father, while he was sitting there supposedly working for some massive company, was literally just putting together Dornblum Industries. It was like, yes. it, was a, it was Sergeant Bilko. And like, so here you know, comes Lee Friedlander and we're work, working on him. I guess I mean, technically, I think the relationship with Rhino may have kind of opened up while he was there because we started doing all those box sets for Rhino. And out of no, you know, Lee Friedlander comes in and we're looking at all the photographs that he took in I'll never forget sitting in basically in your office, looking at all of Lee's negatives for Coltrane covers and Ray Charles covers and Aretha. And it's just like, Unbelievable shit. So thank you from the Dorns for giving a no, phone no, to my no. own he, he Joe was great. No, he yeah, was, he the was, the was shit. a great
0: guy. I, absolutely. I, I, you know, you know how fond I was of your father. Oh, I, absolutely. I don't have to sell you on that. I no, do. no, yeah,
1: exactly. <laughs> you know. But so you guys were there for like 11 years. Did you did you and Bob also just like go from there to polygram together? Well here's what happened. Did, yeah.
0: Here's what happened. It is very interesting what happened, and I and I think this is sort of the beginning of the end of yeah. the, the record business. Yeah, oh yeah. We were doing unbelievable. Mm. And Warner Brothers, then, Steve Ross had died.
1: I remember. He was was sick during the merger, right? Right. He was a
0: brilliant man. Yeah, he really was. I dealt with him a little bit. He was a brilliant guy. Yeah. And then the second guy in command was was a guy named There was the two guys it, from time. Yeah. Nick Nicholas. Yeah. Who blew himself out of the water. Right. Because he so hated the music business people. Yeah. You know he was the Time magazine guy. And if yeah, You know everybody at yeah, Time magazine. Business. Yeah. Is, has an MBA from Brown. Yeah. And they show up exactly on time. Yeah. You know they can write a you know a fifty page memo on secondary usage of toilet paper. Yeah. And
1: it's done on time and you know.
0: And then you're dealing with music people who are like. It's not the culture. And he hated the culture. So he tried to put the record business in play. And the board threw him out.
1: Yeah,
0: You know, because it was throwing... And so then you had Gerald Levin became the president. Right. Who really, frankly, didn't... He was not up to the other guys. Right. I think he he was a good maintaining guy, but he he wasn't the... He was a good second-in-command guy
1: but I'm he wasn't trying to make a basketball analogy right now he was he, he was yeah not a, yeah Yeah, he was a yeah. Scotty Pippen he yeah. wasn't a
0: Michael Jordan
1: uh, <laughs> Oh, i figure Scotty Pippen would be a compliment
0: all right yeah, yeah you know but well, he wasn't the dummy i mean he certainly yeah. had yeah. yeah he was but he was a secondary kind of guy right. he he was the second in command guy and at that point so he he they Warner brothers got in big trouble one time when Steve Ross was there and uh, they they made uh, and they got in trouble with uh, well, it wasn't the FCC, but the, you know they were the ta- you know the government and everything else and,
1: IRS and the IRS
0: everybody the they SEC. got in big trouble so and so he he hired somebody from Bob from Governor Carey's office a guy named Bob Morgado.
1: Uh, I was gonna I was <laughs> gonna say I and made him
0: president of the company. He was now he made him president of the record group. Right. And basically it, it was a it was a. He might have, he could have made your aunt the president of the record Exactly. Because, like, you know, because, you know, had Mo Austin, he's not Mo Austin what to do. And it's Mo Austin, you know. know. That's a record and, and guy. It's yeah. not exactly like you get know, ah, out
1: yeah
0: Amit, I've been in the record business oh 12 God. minutes. Ahmed, Devin, <clears throat> Mo Austin.
1: Yeah. I'm like, it's, oh, So, yeah. so
0: he was the president of, it was like, um. It was like that thing of, remember, it reminded me of the Ten Commandments when, uh, when Moses was being cast into the desert yeah. and then Yul Brynner said, you are now, you said, now you are the prince of the cock- you know, the scorpions. So they made him the president, yeah. which, was a, which was a title. Yeah. And because, like I said, he wasn't going to tell Ahmed what to do. Mm-mm. And even when he tried Morgato, you know, he got slapped down. Yeah. So when Ross died... Levin took it literally that he was the president, and that's when Moss got rid of all those people. He got rid of, uh, uh, you know, uh, yeah, Henry Dros and this one and that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's like game of And they, they kind of pushed Mo off to the side, and yeah. he, uh, he 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 just decimated the the Warner Group. Right. And yeah,
1: uh, I remember watching that.
0: And so I was working there, and our, he, he had created, him and this guy had created this guy, Jordan Ross, who was kind of a knucklehead. Yeah, I remember him. He That's was right. a real knucklehead. Yeah. And they had created this thing, the Warner Music Group, of which we were, the, there was like seven companies in it. Yeah. We were the only one in the black, and we were really in the black. Yeah. And they had created all these other divisions, and uh, they weren't making any money. And, right. and they were always hocking us, and for some reason... Uh, them and Bob did not get along, so they, they wiped us out. They they fired us all. Wow. And they gave you know, the, the our division, they, yeah. they dissolved it. Yeah. And took the three pieces of business we had, the three significant pieces of business yeah. and gave them to other people. Sure. to put those all in the black. Right. So Bob and I were free agents at that point and then um, and a guy named Dave Fitch that I knew from my days at Campus Records my first wow. job yeah we worked we worked together in the tape warehouse <laughs> boxing up Eight yeah. tracks. Yeah. Boxing up eight tracks. Yes. Eight <laughs> <Okay. Good> times. <laughs> yeah. So uh, and
1: seventy-eights. No. <laughs> yeah, well
0: not quite seventy eights. So you know, I said you know, I was kind of looking for a job. So I was nice. I was going through my Rolodex and Dave was at Polygram and mm. I saw him, I said, Look, you know, I said, you know, I hadn't talked to him in years, but we had known each other for years and he said, What do you do? and I said, I do this, this that. he said, Man, we got a division like that. And the guy who's running it mm. Our, the guy who's the president of our, our distribution company does not like and he's been looking for somebody mm. for six months and can't find the right guy let me set up a meeting mm. so dave set up a meeting with caparo and we oh yeah and we've got the job and within two years we quadrupled the business right in two years right. in, in, within two years we quadrupled it mm. it was amazing we started a you know, we we expanded the business. We started our own internal label called Rebound Records. We yeah, did all yeah, kinds yeah, of yeah. we did great stuff. Yeah. Like I said, we quadrupled the business.
1: Yeah, and it it's funny. So they, Bob and I
0: went over there together. Yeah, we went over there as a tap dance team. Right. Yeah,
1: it was an interesting time because I that I caught the end of that window of like special marketing, special markets really being a, a thing. Now it's kind of. You
0: know, well, you could do interesting things. Yeah. I, I remember one day, and I don't know if it was arrogance or stupidity, probably a little bit of both. Both, yeah. Yeah, no doubt, or just uh-huh. naivete, because, you know, as a boy from Miami Beach and didn't know any better.
1: Yeah.
0: <clears throat> I, wanted to be, I, I, I wanted to be with brands, you know. I wanted to get yeah. our products exposed to brands. Yeah. So I got on a plane and went to St. Louis, because th- there was an agency there, a promotion agency, who handled all of Kellogg's business. Oh, okay. And I talked to him for a while, and he said, I love it. Let's. We're gonna, I'm going to set up a meeting and go to Kellogg's with me. Right. Which is at the famous Battle Creek, Michigan. Yeah, Michigan, Michigan yeah. You fly into Detroit, and then you fly from there into Kalamazoo, yeah. and then you get in a car and go another two hours. Yeah. I mean, it is in Not the middle of accessible. nowhere.
1: accessible, <laughs> yeah.
0: It is nowhere. You go nowhere, and then you make a left turn. That's <laughs> where place places, <is>, you know? <laughs> yeah. And it was so cool, because when I got there, I mean, there was just nothing there. No. I mean, and I, they were talking to him, you know, what do I care about music? And I tried to explain to the guy, tell me who your client is you're interested in. We have music for them. Of course. If it's upscale, classical music. If it's this.
1: Yeah.
0: And then he was, saying, I'm not so sure. And I said, let me tell you something. Hmm. It's funny. He told me later, he said, this is the one line that, you know, He's trying to sell the music business about, who's your, he said, really, who are you most interested in? He said, teens. Yeah. I said, let me tell you something. We attract more teens by accident than you do throwing hundreds of millions of yeah, dollars yeah, at it. Yeah, 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 yeah. I said, "Are you kidding me?" I said, "Think about it." Mm. What, what? What is one? He said, "You can't name a teen that doesn't know exactly who we are, what we do, in every one of our artists." And you know, I said, yeah. we, "We're it. Yeah. We're what they respond to." Right. So we we created this the first of many promotions. But it was funny. The first promotion we did was. Um, was on Pop Tarts, and I always say it was very interesting because you know we in the record business when you sell a half a million or something, man, we throw a party, we congratulate each other, we give them a record, yeah, you know, a million Pop Tarts, yeah, <laughs> yeah. They they have a rollout every 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 quarter. Yeah. I think the rollout the rollout was hundred and forty million.
1: Yeah.
0: You know, hundred forty million. I, 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 it's, it's why so many people that we'll talk to
1: as adults that are in other industries. <laughs> You know, they'll, I, I lived surrounded by lawyers and <laughs> brokers and they're like, what do you do? Like, why are you excited about that? That's
0: insane. Yeah. yeah. 140 million pop times Yeah. In uh-huh. one quarter. One, oh, God. One quarter. So anyway, so I, I may be wrong. It may be less or more. Whatever. It's more than it, half a million. It was, it was hundreds of millions yeah. by the end. It was you know hundreds of millions by the end of the year. Yeah. And I said to him, well, look, why don't we do this? He said, well, I don't know what to do. I said... Let's cover your bases yeah. Let, give me I'll give you six artists and they'll cover everything. Right. We'll get a pop artist, we'll get an R and B artist. I said I said, Who eats pop artists? He said, Every every, every teenager. Everyone, yeah. So, you know, there was a I used and, and at that point it was kind of interesting because In Vogue was just starting to break. So right. we had In Vogue and, and a bunch of other artists.
1: Right.
0: Um and we created a thing where I said, Well, we want this to be ongoing. So I said, Can I have the back panel? of the of the Pop Talks box. They said you, you got the back panel. That's what you can use. The, can I have the whole back panel? I said, yeah. Mm-hmm. So what I said is let's make let's make a series out of it. So we'll make a baseball card
1: right. with a perf
0: in the back of it.
1: Right, 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 right. You know, and, 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 the, what's and what they picture? used to do with Twinkies in the seventies, you had the whole box. So it.
0: it's the so the back of the co- the back of the box.
1: Yeah.
0: And it would have perf in it. Yeah. So you could you could have a baseball card. Yeah. And then part of it was if you send in a dollar or whatever it is, and, and two you know two Pop Tarts top, yeah, hot box tops,
1: yeah.
0: You get it. You get a free cassette. Yeah. You get a cassette with new with with any, you know, with music in it. Yeah. You know, with all these artists on it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. All six of them, or whatever. However, it worked, or yeah. whatever we did. And it just it blew up. It was unbelievable. And the guy said, at the time, it was huge. It was like the was like at the top 10 promotions they ever did. And then the yeah. next one we did became the second biggest one they ever had. Right. So it was just... It just showed them the power of music.
1: Oh, yeah. yeah. And I, I always think like... You know, because you were saying when you, mm. you were Warners... Like, the, you guys are way in the black. And I always think that the, all the other... It's like Game of Thrones. All the other divisions are basically pissed at you. Because you're finding ways to use music. And then you might lose 10 million cassettes on a thing. And they can't even sell... You know, three hundred thousand. Well, I
0: will tell you a funny story. The second promotion we did, we did it with a, a brand that they were just ex- they were just putting out called Cinnamon Mini Buns. That's still out there now.
1: Yeah.
0: <clears throat> and they wanted to do something, and the idea was if you send a box... whatever it was like, we had cassette singles in those days. If you're yeah, cassette singles, s- yeah, yeah, cassette singles, right? Same, yeah, right. Strange. All problem. you do is send a box top back, and you get a cassette single. Yeah. And so. You know, and they paid for it, of course you know, yeah, and they, they gave us whatever it was, two bucks for the single, sure, for the thing, and you know made we made, the, we made the, anyway, so all of a sudden, they didn't know how good it was going to do, and I got yeah. an order. It was the second largest promo, the second largest rebate percent highest rebate percentage yeah. in the history of Kelloggs next to Star Wars, which was number one, yeah. And it, it just never stopped, and these guys were like amazed. They were so yeah. dazzled. And the cool thing about Kellogg's is, when I was a kid, so Kellogg's had like this little, like you know, a uh, sort of like historical little museum, so to speak. Sure, which it, is
1: it started as like a health retreat, wasn't he? Like you know, you came and ate. He cereal. was a doctor. He was a doctor. He was yeah. a doctor.
0: Right. That, that's all I do know. Yeah. But. So I walked in there, and I was saying to the guy... You went
1: there, and you ate cereal. It's the best. Well, the funny thing is, I, I
0: walked in there, and I said, man, you know, when I was a kid, I used to, my favorite, I used to love Kellogg's. I said, I, there was some, I forgot, whatever it was, Rice Krispies <clears throat> or something. Yeah, 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 They used to have these things. They had a submarine, and they had a, a, a scuba diver. Yeah. And it was made of plastic yeah, yeah, and there was a hole in yeah, the yeah, bottom with a metal piece and yeah. you put baking soda in it yep. and you closed it and, and the we, baking we, we, soda we, 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 would yeah. because of the way baking soda works it would sink and come up and yeah, sink yeah, and come yeah. up the, the, uh, the know,
1: chemical reaction right, you still had that when I was a kid just to give you an idea and I
0: said that was the co- I thought that was the coolest thing on the face of the planet I <laughs> <laughs> oh I mean I made wow, my wow easily
1: impressed well, as a that child
0: shows <laughs> you that I was certainly that yeah, that being that narrow-minded, and that <laughs> certainly was bode well for me yes. being in the music business. <laughs> that retarded, you know. It's
1: all, yes, it's all uphill from here. Yeah, yeah you know. I guess. Um. I guess
0: that. So you know. So the guy says to me, "Oh yeah," we, he said, "Look, we have it done. So he gave me a couple of them.
1: Oh wow! It
0: was so funny. So he gave me some of those. So when I got home,
1: yeah,
0: you know, Jasper was really just a small boy, and yeah, he was yeah, yeah, three years old, and he was taking a tub, yeah, and I. Got bought some baking soda, and I said, "I asked, you know, because they gave, they had these things still laying around yeah. from a hundred years ago." I'm sure. And he fell in love with it. It's yeah. the coolest thing in the world. That's so. Yeah, you funny. know, the submarine and the thing went up, and it went down, and it went up, and it went down. You know. <laughs> <Jeez> <laughs> Christ. Well, let's see
1: George McCrae do that for you. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, there's yeah, love.
0: yeah.
1: All right. So I have one last oh, thing, course, and we'll wrap correct. this up. Okay. True or false? This is the strangest thing attributed to you. Yeah. Were you on the 1968 Olympic team playing highlight?
0: No, I was not on the Olympic team playing highlight. I tried out for the Olympic team. I thought you were on it. That no. was going to be the big finish. No, you no, fucked I fucked it up. Howard. I tried out for the team. I was not. It was how really. How the fuck
1: did you even know how to? What Jew
0: plays highlight? Yeah, well, I was, one, I was the best <laughs> Jewish highlight player. <laughs> You're the <main laughs> baby Ruth of Jewish well, he, he, highlight. Here's the, here's the story. It's All really right. pretty funny. Now, of course, you know Miami has highlight.
1: Yeah.
0: And there was a couple of amateur frontons. Yeah. And this guy who owned the amateur fronton, his brother um, played highlight. You know, his brother knew a bunch of friends of mine from high school. Uh. You know, he was like 20, in his mid-20s. And we used to use his fronton mm. You know, the amateur fronton, he had like four or five courses. You said
1: fronton like 75 times. Right. What's a fronton? Is that like a, where you Front play? Fronton's the arena. Oh, okay. I never it's knew that. It's, it's called a fronton. Okay.
0: You know, like a pelota's the ball. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah. And then the fronton's the arena. Yeah. And we used to play poker. Yeah. So all the high school kids would play poker. You know, there was like... And, and you know, there was always like anywhere from six to ten of us that would show up, and you could only play seven at a time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So when I wasn't there, you know, when I wasn't playing, I said to the guy one day, you know, uh, the brother, you know, who owned yeah. the place, I said, what is this thing like? He said, come on, put oh you know, the yeah, place yeah, yeah, was closed, yeah. and he would take a quarter of a pot. Yeah. Every pot he would take 25 cents out. You're right, right. Which he got rich for, I guess, you know. Yeah. This is back in the 60s, mind yeah, you. Yeah, yeah, that, that adds up. And so he took me out there, and he said, well, this is how you do it. And I started to do it and he said, Man, you got really natural ability for this. Yeah. And you know, of course I was You're a good athlete. I was play baseball, basketball. Yeah, I played, yeah. you know, the, so I was a good athlete and that yeah. long arms, which really was a big help. Yeah. Because you create this whip. Sure. I was have like, you know, arms for somebody 6'6. Six, six. Yeah. And so he said, You're really good at this. Yeah. And he showed me how to do it and he got this player named Dan Chia, who used to work for him sometimes, one wow. of the guys, yeah, who yeah. taught me how to play. Wow. And so then I, you know, all of a sudden they decided. The, here, here's the weird thing about the Olympics. And I don't know if this still applies, but wherever, right. whatever the home team is, mm-hmm. they get to choose a sport.
1: Ah, so it was, was it Mexico City? It was in Mexico yeah, City, so they the city, chose highline. Yeah. Right. As like a demonstration sport, or like a no, no.
0: It was, it was a medal sport. Oh, okay. It was a metal sport. Okay. And and of course, in those days, it was purely amateurs. Yeah. But the the unfortunate part is that a bunch of Cuban professionals had come over mm. who didn't admit to being professionals and those uh, are the ones that made the team. Oh, okay. A bunch of those made the team. But the funny part is is that you gotta remember it was in it was in the sixties and in yeah. those days I was a long haired commie pinko. <laughs> you know, and everybody else looked like jock like. Yeah. So I had this helmet, you know, as a white the, the yeah, helmets were kinda they, they're, they're kinda weird. like they're kinda like Somewhere between a like a like a, a, a what do you call a helmet? Something like a, a racing helmet. Right. But they had like seven layers of of, of uh, fiberglass in them. Yeah. And um, it's all white. Yeah. And mine had peace signatures, peace flags <laughs> on it, and Grateful Dead stickers, and really? That's oh yeah, great. I mean you know. And I had these I had these ecology socks. You know the green and white. Oh, oh right right, right right right. And I would play in those. Oh boy. And you know. Yeah. It started off at about six frontons, you know it was a thousand people tried out. And oh, it really? got down to the last sixteen people. And you were in the- And I was in the last sixteen. Oh. And then all of a sudden I get this guy from the American Olympic Committee come up to me and say, uh, Yeah.
1: We might not be ready for yeah. anti vietnam Well, you know
0: uh, we'd yeah. like you know, we'd like you to cut your hair and we'd like you this and the other thing and yeah. you know, uh is it, you gotta I said no. Yeah. I'm not going to do that.
1: Yeah, You know what? I got I got Casey and the Sunshine Records to make. I'm out of here.
0: <laughs> well, at the time, it was pre that. I know. I'm was just pre, saying. It was like, pre that. Like, i got the funny other part about to do. It, he's preaching me all the shit, and I just come out of the service. Yeah. 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 There you go. So I just come out of the service. So yeah. I said, by the way, I'm a veteran. Yeah. So save that speech for somebody else. Yeah. And of course, you know, it was the 60s, and I didn't want to hear his crap. And, you know, yeah. I was a young guy. and yeah, yeah. You know, I was a teenager still at that point. And uh, so I tried out for the team and got to the final 16. And I, I, I'm telling you, I would have been on the team if it wasn't for the If you Cuban. cut your hair. And yeah, no, yeah. if it wasn't for the Cuban professionals, I would have been on the team. But. Wow. It was fun. I enjoyed it. And yeah, you know, I, I, so this is my strangest factoid that I tried I, I, yeah, out for an Olympic is, team. Your father told you that story? Oh, yeah. No, what? I've known that for years.
1: Because <laughs> the other thing is I always remember hearing you talk about facing Steve Carlton as a, as a batter. You know, because he... But I also played
0: against Bucky Dent in basketball.
1: Yeah, but Steve Carlton actually pitching to you is a little different than playing against Bucky well, Dent in basketball. Well,
0: li- I would like to have a great story to tell you. But you don't. But- <laughs> <laughs> I don't even need to hear you tell me that but, you don't. But whatever he was doing had nothing to do with whatever any of us were doing. When Carlton was 17, I'm sure he would have struck out some of the and 27 I was a, Yankees. I was a boy. yeah. I yeah, was yeah, like yeah. in my first year, and he was oh, at the. Oh yeah, that's
1: right, because he was our. He to the Cardinals by like. I, I was a. Yeah. I, was,
0: I was like a freshman, and he was a senior. I mean, yeah, he, no. I had never seen anything like that in my life. Hey, I mean, you know I'm what? telling you, in his senior year, he must have had five no hitters. Yeah. I'm just taking a wild guess. Right. He may, uh, or one hitters. Yeah. He, he, I, I played against some great athletes in high school because Miami always generated great athletes. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah.
0: You know I mean I played with at least a half a dozen eight ten guys who went on to play some sundry pro sport. Sure. And I never saw anybody who was that dominant.
1: No I wouldn't He, I wouldn't he, he
0: was it was so <laughs> extraordinary I mean I, I mean fouling the ball off was this an accomplishment. <laughs> So like, I would like to said, yeah, you know, I faced Carlton, went three for four. Yeah, no, you did not. No, not really. (laughs) Three
1: three for (laughs) four hundred. All right,
0: thanks for joining us. So I, yeah, I went O for the for my lifetime. Yeah. (laughs) Jeez Louise! All right, well, we're gonna wrap this up. Howard Smiley, thank you so much. Awesome.